before we begin our Torah study together, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the, what you could call the Shema Advantage. Last night I was talking about the Shema Anointing, but I needed a different title for today. So the Shema Advantage. The Shema gives us understanding that leads to advantages in life. The Shema gives us anointing, it gives us power. And when we understand that God wants us to be able to hear him, and that he is listening for us, it opens up many aspects of our life. There's an anointing upon life that's connected with listening to the Lord and doing what he says. And there's also a great advantage in knowing that God listens. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, are you just praying to the air? Are you just babbling to the air? Are you praying just to the universe, hoping the universe is gonna give you some guidance? Good luck with that. If, if you truly believe in the God of the scriptures, in the God of Israel, in the God of Messiah, then you know that God not only speaks, he listens, he hears us. And so the Shema is a call for Israel to listen, to listen to God and to listen about the Lord. And so it's not just um, a command, this is something you should do, it's a revelation of your spiritual capacity you have the ability given by God to hear from him and to hear his word and for his word to be alive to you. You have this, everyone has it. However, it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be developed. We need to practice listening to the Lord. And the best way to put into practice this listening ear is to do the things that you hear from the Lord to do. If you listen, but you don't do, it's trouble. But when you hear from the Lord, and there's so many ways you can hear from the Lord, but when you do hear from the Lord, it's meant as guidance for you. It's meant to be useful to you. There's an anointing and blessing that we experience when we're listening to the Lord, but it requires that we have fellowship with the Lord. It's wonderful that you're here. It's wonderful that you participate in services. It's also necessary to go beyond that, to have fellowship with the Lord at your initiative where you take time and you spend time with him. You you learn from him. You practice opening your spiritual ears to him and your heart and your mind to him, listening to his word and putting his instructions into action. And the personal life of faith that we live connects us to Abraham and Sarah and to their descendants. 
And we can be faithful to God when we learn that the blessings of God and the promises of God can be fulfilled in our life and passed on to other people, including our children and our grandchildren and those we come into contact with. Now, if you talk to some people about hearing God speak, they will think you need an appointment with a psychiatrist. However, the Torah tells us that God does speak and that people can hear him. And in fact, you can't have Judaism without a God who reveals himself. You can't have even a Bible. You can't have a Torah, any part of the Bible, unless there is a God who reveals himself. And he reveals himself by speaking words. Some of you may have had one of those classic comic books. How many of you even remember what classic comics are? A few of you. Yeah, some high schoolers who didn't want to read the real books would buy the classic comics. And, you know, you'd look at the pictures, you'd skim through. But the Torah, the Tanakh, the Brit HaKadoshah, they're not picture books. They're word books. And they are meant for people who can read the word and take it into their hearts and into their minds. It's important to know that you have the ability to hear from God and that you want to cultivate it. When you have that desire, I want to cultivate that ability to hear. It's really important. To know that God has created you in such a way that you can hear, this is also important. It's not that you will one day reach this holy sainthood and then you can hear from God too. But rather, the promise of the new covenant is this, that all flesh and blood would receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would guide us. He would remind us of the teachings of Yeshua. He would open up the scriptures, but he would also empower us to live faithfully for God. It's important, I think, to pay attention to some of the really simple ideas in the Torah because they're radical, they're, they're um, at the foundation of everything. And so I want to start today in a in the first verse of Genesis chapter 26, part of our Torah reading, and we're looking at the life of Isaac and Rebekah and one particular episode in that life, Genesis 26, verse 1. And it starts with this. A famine came over the land, not the same as the first famine. Now just pause for a minute there. This assumes that you have read the first part of the Bible, the other 25 chapters. <laughs> Do you get that? And I'm assuming you have too. But just in case you didn't, there's more to the sentence that will explain it. But really, if you want to hear from the Lord, if you want his word to really make sense to you and to be useful to you, you got to give something to God to work with. You have to spend time in 
the Word, and you've got to cultivate a listening ear where you open up your heart and your mind and your spiritual ears and eyes so that God can give you guidance. So that means it's better if you come to services having already read the Torah portion and the Haftorah and the Brit HaKadoshah, and it's even better if you read them last year too. And it's even better if you read them the year before. And of course you may say, oh, I already read them once. But the scripture says about the scripture this, that the word of God is active and alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to separate between soul and spirit and to discern or judge even the attitudes of the heart. And the scriptures are able to make you wise regarding salvation. The scriptures become a lamp for you and a light for you in the path that you're to walk on. The scriptures are useful and they continue to be useful. They're active and alive and they're timely as well. And so as you're reading now, you will get things that you need for now and for the time ahead. You may have had the experience, it is a common experience, you read the scriptures and you see something you had never seen before. How many have had that experience? You've read it over and over and over again and then something comes alive to you because you read it yet one more time. It's important to understand that. Now, I know that there are people who hate to read. However, the whole Jewish culture is based on getting over that. <laughs> and learning to read. And throughout history, the Jewish people have been consistently the most literate of all people groups. Reading, everyone learning to read, everyone learning to write. There were times, of course, when people followed um, oral learning because it was hard to get copies of books because everything was written as a manuscript. But we live in an era when it's not difficult to get a copy of anything. How many of you know how to use Google? As Cantor Aaron said, the fount of all knowledge. Yes. <laughs> how, many, how many of you, okay, well, this is a test. Like, this, this will seem obvious to a lot of you, but to some of you it won't be, and in the future it won't be obvious at all. If you open up a book and you take one piece of paper, what, what is that piece of paper called? Page. Remember that, because you will have grandchildren one day who will not know what a page is. And they'll know all sorts of things about what's on their screens. And they'll have all new verbs for stuff. Whole new jargon. But it's good to know what a page is. It's good to know what books are. And as much as I love digital books, I have lots of paper books and I will continue to have them. It's important for us to learn to read 
to read well, to learn to read fast enough that we can keep our interest. If, if you have learning disabilities, then, um, then take courage about this. There are many people with learning disabilities who find that at a certain point in their life, something clicks, and they're able to enjoy the reading and learning process anyway. I have a number of friends who struggled with dyslexia and other learning disabilities all throughout high school and who flunked out of many classes and thought really that they had no academic future. But something happened to them and their heart changed and their mind changed and their processing changed enough so that in the case of the people I'm thinking of, all of them guys, they ended up getting doctorates. Yeah. And if you knew them in high school, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> and if you were their parents, you may have been terribly frustrated. But they had a victory because they had a desire to learn and they overcame whatever the hindrance was. Maybe it took more effort than it takes some. But I can tell you this, even if you have a learning disability, don't let it stop you. Find out from people who are able to help you what you can do to master that. Back to the book, Genesis 26. A famine came over the land, not the same as the first famine. Well, what was the first famine? If you read on, you'll see. The one that had taken place when Abraham was alive. Oh, well, that answers everything. If you read about Abraham's life. So it's important to stay up to date and aware of all the people that uh, you come into contact with so that you can put the pieces together. So you remember the story about Abraham, that God called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go to another land that he didn't know? And Abraham did it, just as the Lord told him to. And he got to this land, and it was milk and honey, except there was a famine. <laughs> How many have had this kind of experience, you know, where God promised you something really great, and you did it. You did what you needed to do. And as you were doing it, and as you got to that place of promise, there was a famine where you went, or something like it. How many have that? A few, a few of us have had that kind of experience. Maybe not a physical famine, but you thought for sure it was going to be easier. Am I right? And you thought for sure, if I'm obeying the Lord, I'm going to be blessed, and blessed means it's all just going to come to me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Second famine, Isaac's famine, like father, like son. This is not the same as the famine when Abraham was alive. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Avimelech, king of the uh, Philistines. You know how you say Avimelech in the south? Abimelech, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I abuse myself sometimes by trying to imagine, <laughs> trying to imagine being in heaven with my uh, co-Southerners 
and having them meet some of the guys in the Bible and calling them by their southern name. <laughs> and I just try to imagine what Avimelech might think when someone calls out to him, Hey, Abimelech! <laughs> well, verse 2. Yeah, by the way, that's a tip. If, if you can read the Bible and amuse yourself sometimes, it'll help you. <laughs> the Lord appeared to Isaac and said. Now this, this part of verse 2 is profoundly important. The Lord appeared. The Hebrew means something very simple. The Lord appeared. <laughs> the Lord became visible. The Lord was seen by the eyes of Isaac. Now some commentators think, oh, it happened in a vision, or it happened in a dream. But that really is an addition, I think, that the commentator is projecting onto the text, because the text doesn't say that. The text just says, the Lord appeared. But even for the sake of argument, if you have this idea that the Lord is this invisible force of nature, then he can't appear even in a dream. There's nothing to see. He can't appear even in a vision. There's nothing to see. It would be like saying, and then gravity appeared. But gravity doesn't appear. It's not visible. But this is saying something simple. The Lord became visible to Isaac. Now, this is contra many religious ideas that God is outside of the universe and that he is um, unseeable, unknowable, and invisible. And there is an aspect to him being invisible, but he's not always invisible. That's important to know. He can be invisible, but he's not always invisible. He can be seen on occasion. The Lord appeared. Now to make things even more important, he spoke. He spoke with words. In fact, if the Lord cannot speak, the Torah disappears. There is no Torah. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, okay, let's just get basic on this. The Lord is now speaking concretely. This is important to understand. It's not just a spiritual feeling that Isaac has here. His spiritual person hears words from the Lord. Don't go down into Egypt. That's the word. We don't even know if Isaac was asking the question. But we do know that Isaac heard the answer. And maybe you've had this experience in your personal relationship with God, even in your devotional life with God. You're, you're seeking the Lord about one thing and he talks to you about another thing? And how many are familiar with that? You've got your agenda and it turns out the Lord is on a different agenda. 
and you want to talk about one thing and he wants to talk about another thing. That may be what's happening, we're not sure. But we know this, the Lord initiates the conversation and he says to Isaac, don't go down into Egypt. Now what do we know about the first famine? We know that Abraham experienced the famine and God told him, go down to Egypt and then I'll bring you back. But the Lord says to Isaac, don't go to Egypt. And this, I think, is important to us because we can, we can get in the habit of thinking we know already everything we need to know. And that all we need to do is do what we did before again. And so we look for similarities in life. And it would be very e easy for Isaac to say, hey, I know what to do when there's a famine. Because my dad went down to Egypt, therefore, I'm in a famine in the same area. What do I do? I go down to Egypt. But the fact is, that's only one data point. And we're about to get another data point. Don't go to Egypt. Okay, now some people get really troubled by this. So what's the right thing to do? Go to Egypt or not go to Egypt when there's a famine? <laughs> well, the rest of the verse tells us the more important principle. Don't go down to Egypt, but live where I tell you. That's the continual principle. Live where I tell you. Live where I tell you. That tells us something. God can tell us about where we should live. One of the things that is important to know is that you're in the right place. Now, for people who have wanderlust, there is no right place. Do you know what I mean by that? There are some people, they have like a wandering spirit, you know, that's leading them in life. And it doesn't matter where they are, they don't want to be there. And even if the Lord manifests himself physically and spoke audibly and said, live here, they would be waiting for the next day because they don't have a word for that day and they can go. There are some people who just like to go. They don't like to stay. And so they're looking for principles that help them go. And uh, I have nothing to encourage you with. <laughs> if you're such a person. But there's another kind of person that will not change and will not move uh, unless brute force is used to move them. And if you're one of those people, it's like I'm staying put. I was born in my father's house and he was born in his father's house. <laughs> I'm not leaving and I don't care what happens. That also is, is a similar type of attitude. It's hard to direct such a person. Don't go down into Egypt, but live where I tell you. Now, we also see in this that God is able to give personal guidance to an individual at a time that's right for them so that they can know what they need to do and what they should not do. Stay in this land, verse 3 and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now, the problem with this 
is there's a famine in the land. And Isaac's a farmer, among other things. And so he's being told, stay in this place where it's impossible to grow food, and I'll bless you. I'll be with you. That takes something. It takes faith. It takes trusting God. It takes um, courage as well. It takes hope. And it also takes heart. The great command starts with the Shema, and then it moves to the second part, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elhecha. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love the Lord. There's something about knowing that you can hear from God that is a prerequisite for loving God. The, the loving part is connected to the hearing part. And that's why they go together. And anyone who's married knows how this can work. Let me explain. <laughs> One of the most common complaints of women is that the men, their husbands, don't talk to them about stuff. And they don't know what they're thinking. And they don't know what they're feeling. And no one, no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. <laughs> but this is very common. And men have to learn to verbalize the things of the heart and what's going on. And when men do this, women don't have to guess what's going on. They can confirm that they understand correctly. Now, the process still involves give and take. It involves speaking, it involves listening, but it also involves confirming. And guys, you can understand this. Have you ever heard your wife say something and you thought you knew what she meant? <laughs> But it turned out you didn't. <laughs> and maybe you've learned it's useless to just repeat the words you heard. Am I talking to guys that can hear me? <laughs> I just want to see if, if you're still here. <laughs> yeah, it's necessary to confirm. So you said this, do I understand this correctly or I understand it this way? It's good to confirm that. I don't know why I'm telling you this if you can't hear me. <laughs> Stay in this land and I'll be with you and bless you. That's the word from the Lord. Because I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, I'll fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's part one of the oath. I'll give all these lands to your descendants, that's part two. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will bless themselves, that's part three. God is saying to Isaac, what I promised to Abraham, I'm also promising to you. And I will extend it through you to the generations that follow. And then verse five, very powerful statement. All this is because Abraham heeded what I said and did what I told him to do. He heard and he put into action. He followed my commands, my regulations, and my teachings. 
Now, it's important to focus on this and to understand this, but it's also necessary to, to dig deep and to think carefully about what was going on with Isaac. And this is how I understand it. Isaac was having fellowship with the Lord. He was in close relationship with the Lord. He wasn't, he wasn't treating his spiritual life as simply a, a list of rules that he needed to follow. He had a relationship with God, and every relationship requires communication and requires two-way communication, speaking and listening and taking turns with that. So this relationship Isaac had involved prayer, Isaac talking to the Lord. It involved listening. Isaac has a listening ear. It involves God's word. Isaac receives God's word. It involves God's instruction. Isaac pays attention to God's instruction. And it involves the heart. Isaac takes to heart what the Lord says, and he puts into action the things that the Lord says to do. And each of these work together. It's very important to understand this. Then we can process and think clearly about what was going on with Isaac. Now, having said this, it's important to avoid two extremes. One extreme is a kind of independence that says, I already can make all my own decisions. I'll just use my God-given brain, and I don't need any spiritual guidance from God. I've got a brain, I have intelligence, I can use it, and thus I will always use it. And when we do that in an extreme way, we become independent from God. We acknowledge him as our creator, but we don't look to him as our leader and our guide. And this independence is really a root sin that keeps us separated from God. Now there's another similar um, extreme, but it's on the other side. It's a kind of super spirituality that says, I cannot make any decision without guidance from Lord, the Lord. And so that person wakes up in the morning and they pray to determine whether they should brush their teeth or not. <laughs> they have to pray to know, should I eat oatmeal or an egg? And it becomes super spiritual, and it's actually a form of juvenile uh, maturity. It's not really very mature. Because there are some things you already know what to do. Your teacher gives you an assignment if you say, I need a word from the Lord, should I do my homework? <laughs> you probably will never get that word. So we want to avoid those two extremes. And we need to have close fellowship and to take time to listen to the Lord. Now the Haftorah portion teaches us something about being a priest of the Lord and a teacher of other people. We can turn there to Malachi chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 4. And it says, you'll know that I sent you this command in order to affirm my covenant with Levi, with Levi. Says Adonai Tzavaot, the Lord of hosts. Verse five, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave him these things. So what are the two components of the covenant? Life and peace. And where did they come from? 
from the Lord. The Lord says, I gave them to him. It was also, the verse continues, one of fear, and he feared me. He was in awe of my name. So it was not the fear of circumstance. It was the fear of the Lord. It was holding God in awe. Now, where did that awe come from? It came from Levi. That was his part. God gave him life and peace, but Levi had to develop and cultivate a sense of awe. It's necessary for us to cultivate the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you and I are responsible for keeping our hearts open and our minds open to the Lord in order to cultivate that. Now let's keep going. Verse 6. The true Torah was in his mouth and no dishonesty was found in his, on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many away from sin. That's very interesting. He, he would speak the word of God and he was not dishonest. He walked with the Lord. His own personal life was uh, consistent. It was peaceful, it was upright, but there was something that the Lord valued as well that has to do with a priestly attitude. He turned many away from sin. He helped other people get right with God. And this is a true characteristic of a disciple of the Lord, that the disciples of the Lord don't just receive for themselves, they don't just live an isolated individual life, but they think of others around them and they find ways to have a positive influence on others in order to turn them towards the Lord. Now we're gonna close with a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Something that connects to this idea of fellowship with the Lord and staying close to the Lord. Yeshua's comments, I think, are so instructive. John 15, starting in verse four. Yeshua says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, unless it stays connected to the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then Yeshua says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Now it's important to get that part right. Who's the vine? The Lord. And who are the branches? Us. And if you separate us, if you cut us off from the vine, what happens? We dry up and die. That's what happens. The vine keeps going. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you like the person sitting next to you, just smile a little mischievously and say, we're a bunch of do-nothings. <laughs> We're do-nothings on our own. <laughs> if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, they cast them into the fire, they're burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. How could that possibly be? The answer is this. Our desires, the desires of our heart change when we abide with the Lord. 
when we have fellowship with the Lord and we stay close to the Lord, when we have a listening ear, when His Word becomes active and alive in our lives, you know what? Our hearts change. We start wanting what He wants. We stop wanting the things that aren't good for us or the things that lead us away from Him. And that's why we can ask what we want. It's because what we want has changed. It's now what He wants. And then verse 8, my Father is glorified by this. And what is the this? It's by you abiding in the Lord and the Lord's word abiding in you and you asking and bearing fruit. That you would bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These, these things I've spoken to you so that, look at this, so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be made full. This is why Yeshua is telling us this. It's the secret of life. You want real joy? Abide in the Lord. Have fellowship with the Lord. You can be very religious without having a personal relationship with God. You can do a lot of religious things and not have a joyful life. But Yeshua opens up the secrets of a joyful life and the life of faith. Spend time with God. Let his word take its life in you and grow up in you and bear fruit in you. Let his word change your heart, your mind, your life. And when we allow this to happen, when we cultivate it, when we're deliberate about it, you know what? God will send us a word that's very personal. Live here, don't live there. Stay here, don't go there. And life will move forward. And not only that, but you will connect with the great eternal purposes of God to reconcile the whole world to him. To use the the sons and daughters of Abraham, the children of Israel, and all who join together through Messiah Yeshua to use us so that the whole world can be blessed. Every family, every nation can find blessing from God through people like us. And you become part of that eternal plan that God has to reconcile the world and to deliver us from the power of sin and death. So as we're approaching Hanukkah, meditate on these things and think about them. Think about the anointing of the Shema and the advantage that comes with the Shema in your life, listening to the Lord and putting into practice what he says. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. I want to ask you to rise. And if you're standing by yourself, I want to encourage you to move enough so that you're not standing by yourself. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.